eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Never had makeup for a podcast before. I know. <laughs> it's the next level. This is next level stuff. Huge. Welcome to NASCAR America. I'm Nate Ryan. Steve Letart, Kyle Petty join me after three hours and 45 minutes of sleep off a of red eye from Las Vegas. Guys. You got three hours? Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, back here at the NBC Sports Charlotte studios where we are joined by, he was once the Alec Baldwin of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm not man. sure if you still are because it's the first time you've been on here this year, but I'm just going to say you're, you're still our Alec Baldwin. Steve oh, Letarte. Love it. Love it. NASCAR and NBC analyst and host of his own podcast now, Letarte on Location, which you should check out. But uh, we've got you on here, Stevie, because we're doing a post-race playoff podcast throughout the remainder of the season, and we've got a lot to talk about Las Vegas. I hope you have a lot of time. Let's get started. We're up against NASCAR America. So Kyle Busch, we're going to get to Martin Truex Jr. He won the playoff opener at Vegas, third time in four years. He's done that, but let's start with Kyle Busch. He called out Joey Gase and Garrett Smithley after the race. He had trouble with both of those guys, ran into Smithley in the closing laps of the race. He questioned both of them about how they raced on the track and he also questioned their credentials. He said there's a problem here if NASCAR is letting guys who haven't won late model races race in the top echelon of motorsports. I was told he was going to go high. I thought he was going to go high. He went middle because I thought he was going to go high. And uh, killed our day. I don't know. I mean, should have run fourth probably, but um, instead 19th. I don't know. What? We're the top echelon of motorsports, and we got guys that have never won late model races running out here on the racetrack it's pathetic they don't know where to go a does he have a point about how they raced and b does he have a point about their credentials um no and no so unless kyle bush is going to own the 40 cars that are out there he can't judge who drives all of them someone put him in a car before he had perhaps a resume to drive it um now i'm not going to argue his talent it's outstanding and i'm not going to argue the fact that those two drivers he's calling out do not have the credentials that him or the majority of the cup field have but that doesn't mean that they don't have a right to be on the racetrack. It's not up to him. Um, it's really, truly up to the car owners that put him in cars. I think Kyle Busch's whole situation is bigger than the issues he had in Las Vegas. He's been vocal and unhappy the majority of the year with the rules, um, specifically at the mile and a half. Um, this lower horsepower, high downforce momentum type racing, he does not seem to be a fan of. He, uh, I'm not saying anything he hasn't already said, but in the end... You know, he is one of the championship favorites, but he doesn't seem to vocalize that. Or in Las Vegas, he didn't even look like that behind the wheel, which is that's where my concern comes in. This is the first time, perhaps, maybe even the only time that I can remember as an analyst now in my fifth year, that 
Kyle Busch was the weakness on the 18 team in Las Vegas. And, and I say that in all respect. I mean, he is one of the greatest. But he was the weak link on the 18 team. And this is not the first time recently. If you go back over the, the last couple of months, Watkins Glen, he was off his game, not just the Xfin the cup race, but the Xfinity race too. <laughs> you look at uh, New Hampshire, he hit the wall with, with a very good car there. Yeah. Um, hit the wall while chasing Eric Jones at, at Darlington, so that's not as much a factor. But it seems as if this but, has but been those, a little bit of a recurring but those theme. Were, but those mistakes were go mistakes. Yeah. So, so here, here's the difference in my theory. You know, if you have the best pitcher in the world and he just doesn't have the just doesn't have it that day, but he's throwing the ball hard and stuff. You know, everyone's gonna have off days. Those days you mis you mentioned, I think, is is signature Kyle Bush throttled down right into a mistake. Las Vegas was not. It he hit the wall running twenty something at the beginning of the race and then buckled down and recovered only like perhaps the greatest cars can. Got all his laps back. Adam Stevens pulls a miraculous race. And I, I forced it into the broadcast. I asked the production team, you got to go to Kyle. He is going to catch us. He's going to come up and win this race, and we're going to look foolish because we haven't talked about the day he's had. And it all just sort of a splintered right in front of us, and I, and I don't know why. Um, you know, yeah, he, listen, he calls out all those drivers, but my point is it's a one-and-a-half-mile circuit. It has a wall on one side, an apron on another, and every driver is out there. So he wasn't the only ones racing around those drivers. And I understand his frustration. He has every right to be frustrated. I actually applaud his frustration. Uh, Mark Martin said a tweet kind of applauding his reaction. I agree. You can't ask drivers to be themselves and then not like what you get when they're themselves. Right. So Kyle Busch was Kyle Busch, I, you, know, you know. Is there a problem, though, right now with Kyle Busch's focus? Does it seem like he's been off his game a little more this year? And is it? we know he, he's not a fan of this package. Is, it, is there something there that's tied I to I can't that? speak to his focus. I can say there is an issue with Kyle Busch's performance at Las Vegas if he feels he wants to go win a championship. But luckily for Kyle Busch and Adam Stevens, they're the regular season champion. Mm -hmm. They're the best performer in 26 weeks. They had a mulligan and didn't even really use it. I mean, they only ran mid-pack. So they kind of still have a mulligan. So... The beauty is that when you are great, you are held to higher standards, but you also have a little bit more of a head start. And um, I really think that Las Vegas is only an issue if Adam Stevens and Kyle Busch can't get redirected and they let it linger forward. They come back at, at Richmond this weekend and they're normal Kyle Busch again running inside the top five. Then um, it was just a blip. It's just going to be one more great storyline if he's holding the championship trophy in Miami. Kyle Busch, I think, won the post-race Interviews in the pits, in the garage, in the media center, though, however, uh, the winning crew chief won the post-race media center interviews. That was Cole Pern. He was making jokes about uh, his kids are asking if they're going to see snow again now that they live in North Carolina. He doesn't live in Denver anymore. He says it's too hot to go outside. In Charlotte, this is with his team owner sitting right next to him. Uh, for Martin and Cole, I know you guys were affiliated with JGR in your previous two playoffs, but now you're, that you're fully inside, does it feel any different? Oh, yeah, it's way different. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte, you can't go outside. It's too hot. <laughs> no, my kids ask me every day, like, can we go back where there's snow? In classic vintage, like, deadpan Colpern mode, and not only was he great after the race, he was great, obviously, before and during the race because it felt to me, like, Stevie, like it was his call to prepare the number 19 as a long-run car. Uh, you know, it didn't work in the championship finale last year at Homestead Miami Speedway, but so often Truex seems to have the best long-run car, and I think that was a key to the success 
yesterday. So there'll be races where I tell you that the crew chiefs were great bystanders that just made sure the tires didn't fall off. Um, and in Las Vegas, we saw two crew chiefs win the race. The call on Saturday, the fuel situation for the two car and Tyler Reddick went out and beat a dominant Christopher Bell. When we dro- saw the green flag drop at Las Vegas, Martin Truex Jr. was a mediocre car at best. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Martin Truex Jr., but he obviously delivered all the right information. And then Cole made all the right decisions because I wish I knew the adjustments because somewhere in there is the magical turning point because the 19 went from average to good to great. And it was unbelievable. When, when, uh, when, it, when the pay window opened, the best car won the race. And it, it, was, it was remarkable to watch. All the unknowns proved to be true. How the track was going to change, how the race was going to play out. Martin Truex Jr. had a game plan. He got dealt a set of cards, and in Vegas fashion, he held them very close to his vest, and, and he ended up having the winning hand. It was, it was impressive for sure. I think that actually, circling back to Kyle Busch, from a guy who was beaten consistently by a teammate, there's nothing more painful. And that bothers Kyle, and he says that publicly. It bothered me, Yeah, and, and it's fair to bother Kyle because yeah. if someone else beats you, when I was Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s crew chief and Jimmy Johnson won, if I was Jeff Gordon's crew chief and Jimmy Johnson won, I knew every nut, every bolt of the entire car. When I'm getting beat by a different manufacturer, a different company, maybe they have something we don't have. Maybe yeah. that's the difference. Kyle Busch knows everything Martin Truex Jr. has. And that is way more painful. Yeah. I really think that, you know, if the four is doing donuts, nothing else changes except the four is out there doing donuts. My opinion, nothing that Kyle said, purely my opinion from my experience as having a dominant teammate Kyle Busch is perhaps a little less unhappy with the evening. You and Jeff Burton have both talked recently on the broadcast about the slump uh, late regular season that Martin Truex Jr. was in. I asked Cole Pern about that last night, and he said, Yeah, we've honestly, we've ran really well. You know, we had a really good car at Bristol and, you know, had a tire go down, and we had a pit road uh, incident at Darlington with a good car, and then we got wrecked on pit road at Indy with a good car, and it's just... You, you know, you have stuff like that happens, and you just kind of fly under the radar. But, uh, you know, we were kind of coming here. It was We were optimistic with it being hot and, you know, similar uh, similar to Charlotte where we ran really well with this package. So definitely uh, for us, when it's hotter and slicker, it's uh, it's a lot better. That's where, where Martin is uh, is really good at it, where you got to actually, you know, wheel the thing. And it's not just hammer down who's got the least drag kind of deal. So definitely for us, it was uh, we were optimistic coming here. Again, third time in four years this team has opened the playoffs with a win. Uh, they won the championship in 17 doing that. It does, you know, they, they reached the championship round in 15. In 15. Does it seem like it, it's going to be that kind of year again for the number 19 in Truex and Colburn? So what I don't know is, is it good or bad if a favorite to advance at a round one wins in round one? Did it, does it matter if Martin Truex Jr. wins in round one? Mm-hmm. Like, did, like, I mean, you filled out a bracket. Did you have Martin Truex Jr. being eliminated round one? I mean, last night, Cole Pern joked, hey, we won the opener in 16, and we didn't make it out of the second round. So, so, but that's my, so <laughs> yeah. I guess that's my yeah, point, exactly. is, is I have yeah. a list of cars. Right. Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Brad Kozlowski, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin. That's the top seven in points. No one has a bracket buster. No one has those seven going out. Mm-hmm. So while Truex's win is a statement, um, you just said it. You gave me both examples. What did that statement say? That one out of three pigs will build their house out of brick. I mean, what's the stat you want me to give you? One year he goes to the championship four. One year right. he goes out in the second round. Right. So, I mean, it's a win. Yeah. And it's more playoff points. And, and the trophy's there. I'm not taking any of that away. Yeah. But, actu- I mean, it, it's not a surprise. If Ryan Newman would have won, that's a bigger surprise. If Clint Moore would have won from the pole, that's a bigger surprise. 
Martin Truex Jr. isn't a shock. Um, you know what? What Cole said about their performance is the tough part about my current job. You know, you're one step removed. There's a lot of races that, that I crew chief cars that never got talked about, and they were some of the best cars I've ever had, and they were the building blocks to winning down the road. Obviously, Cole Pern has that same feeling about the final few races of the regular season that the booth, myself, Dale Jr., Jeff Burton, ha are unable to kind of see out the window. So Truex wasn't the only guy who ran up front. A lot of championship contenders, Logano ran up front, Chase Elliott led some laps, and when Elliott was leading, I want to ask you, Stevie, about this interesting scoring situation that they had where a caution for William Byron spinning. He spins, he makes a pit stop. Spins in the best possible spot. Yeah, spins in turn four and immediately enters the pit road and yep. makes his pit stop. Chase Elliott, his teammate, is leading. Chase Elliott slows down. The pace car hasn't picked up Chase Elliott and Joey Logano in second. So Chase Elliott slows down by, I don't know how much, but enough so that Joey Logano passes him while... William Byron comes out of the pits ahead of Chase Elliott, who was the leader. Now, meaning the you know the pace car again is like 200 feet ahead, so we know he's not anywhere near pace car speed. Uh, NASCAR. No, 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 wait. He's still running faster than the pace car because he's catching the pace car. So that that's the confusion. Let's, yeah. Let's hold, let's go back to just fundamentally how this works. When the yellow lights illuminate, the field is to slow to a cautious pace and pull up behind the pace car. A cautious pace. If they go to pace car speed, they're never going to catch a pace car that's going pace car speed. A cautious pace is a pace defined by the field. Wherever the accident may be, whether it's fluid on the racetrack, whether there's debris on the racetrack, it's not defined. It's not a pointer with a speed. It's not like a restart rule. It is a cautious pace. So therefore, Chase Elliott has the ability to set that cautious pace. Did he set it to save William Byron on that? Absolutely. Should Joey Logano pass him earlier? And say, well, he's not keeping up. I'm going to drive by him, you know. Ch Joey Logano drove by him when he finally was like, oh, crap, I know what he's doing. Yeah. Too late. Yeah. If Joey Logano does it earlier, he puts the pressure on NASCAR to make a To call. make a decision. Okay. But, but, you know, NASCAR has no reason to make a decision. I, I sit two windows down from NASCAR. When the yellow comes out, I never look at how the, fee how the leader catches the pace car. He just does eventually, right? And, and uh, the opposite. If I've been a crew chief and I'm the leader – and I know we're in the middle of a green flag cycle. You can go back in history and hear me say, TJ will say yellow out, and I'll get right on the bike. Hustle, 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 hustle. And Dale Jr. knew that meant to get to the pace car because there's guys on pit road we're trying to trap. But he still has to do it as a cautious pace because in the end, you know, we talk about Byron. He spun. Well, what if Byron would have been sitting on the trial and they would have gone by 15 miles an hour and nobody would have said, well, that's too slow. Hmm. Mm -hmm. so, so was the game played? Absolutely. Was the game played legally? Absolutely. Uh, Joey Logano tried to defend it, was a little slow. In my mind, what I see is a teammate playing nicer earlier in the playoffs than perhaps we would have seen. If Hendrick Motorsports was dominant Hendrick Motorsports with 15 or 18 wins, I think Chase doesn't care about the 24 and tries to pin him down a lap because he sees him as, hmm. as a thing. If that's the 18 and the 19, does the 18 stop? Or does he yeah. just say, oh, man, I didn't know. Sorry, because you're one of my biggest competitors. So if this happens in Texas, we might be having a Hendrick Motorsports controversy post-race. Well, well I guess what I'm saying is yeah. I think it shows that Hendrick Motorsports, in their struggles, perhaps their relationship has been galvanized a little bit where they're yeah. all looking out for one another. Um, it didn't look that way with Jimmy Johnson and – and William Byron spun at Indy, but they were still both trying to make the playoffs. But here, um, listen, it's, um, you know, I like it, right? The rules are written in black and white. And if you look, zoom in on the paper really, really close, there's a, like a big piece of edge of gray right around every piece of ink. And that's where Chase Elliott lived, and I support it. I think it was a great move. All right, and no problem with NASCAR making no call. There's no call to make. No call. I mean, the problem is you have to tell me what he did wrong. 
because and the mistake I hear is people are like, well, pace car speed. Like, no, no, that's not the rule. Mm-hmm. Cautious to, speed. It's a cautious speed to catch the pace car. Gotcha. Interesting day for Logano. Uh, he led a lot of laps, as we mentioned. Came from, I think, 22nd, 24th, somewhere in there to, to lead some laps, like Truex did, came from the back. Uh, but he was involved in a couple of incidents. Um, one that was interesting, end of stage two, uh, he has the lead. He's coming up on Matt Benedetto, who was either about he to go the lap last down, car on last the lead, car lead lap. lap. And uh, there's, I think, a lap to go in the stage, in stage two. Logano elects to follow Matt Benedetto with Joe Nemechek below him and kind of boxes himself in, doesn't leave himself an, an option here, allows Truex to go around the outside, and then Truex uh, passes to Benedetto, but then gives to Benedetto the lap back uh, before the stage ends and Truex wins the stage. What did you make of this sequence? It was very... Curious. I didn't think of anything until the 19 lifted. Because mm-hmm. in let, the end, let back. Yeah, because in yeah. the end, I'm kind of like, well, you know, the 95's trying to save a lap. I don't think they're. I don't. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, is this a discussion that they've said to all the Toyota guys that hey, like, you know, your role is to cleanly. Matt didn't do anything. Nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. Cleanly race some other guys as tough as you can race. Did Martin Truex Jr. just come off turn four and go? Oh man, I don't want to hold the 90. Like. Did he con- connect the two, or was he just like, oh, you know? Yeah. I don't think he sees the 95 as a competition for the win. Is he just like, hey, man, they got a new sponsor. My man just had a good day. He's, uh, he's helped me out in the past. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to be a good guy. I'm Martin Trex Jr. I'm a pretty solid guy. I don't know if they're connected or not, but um, there is enough of those, the Chase Elliotts, the Joey Logano's, that, that, that it's a great reminder that there are not 16 cars on the racetrack. There are 38 to 40. Yeah. And, and much like – we're sitting here today. We're not talking about Kyle Busch racing a playoff guy. We're not talking about Chase Elliott. You know, we're talking about him helping a playoff guy. And now we're talking about Martin Trex Jr. giving a non-playoff guy. There's a lot of storylines out of Vegas that involve a playoff driver and a non-playoff driver. It's, yeah. it's an interesting opening. And there are multiple layers to Benedetto because right now he drives for a Toyota team, Levine Family Racing. So technically he's aligned with Truex. But next year... He's going to drive for Wood Brothers and be aligned with Logano. So, so, so the reason I feel that it was just coincidence is because I feel that's consistent to how Matty D has raced. Mm-hmm. The reason he's going to drive at the Wood Brothers is because he gambled on himself and he races hard but not obnoxious. Uh, there's a few other drivers that I won't list that I think have gotten to the obnoxious stage. He's not. You know, He didn't put the 22 anywhere. He just didn't let him go. Right? He forced him to pass him. Um, so I don't think there's anything to it. Okay. I don't. I really don't. What did you think about Logano was also angry with Daniel Suarez. They made contact on a restart when uh, Logano was racing hellbent for leather and it appeared to really force the issue a few times. And we know that you have to do that these days on restarts. But did Logano have a race where at the end of stage two, that incident, were, were there some moves he might have wanted back? Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. Uh, so this format lined up with this rules package is the most powder keg situation we have ever seen. I mean, it's just, it, and we know there's six or seven matches out there. We just don't know where they're going to get struck. Um, you are not on your own on all these restarts. You're dependent on what everyone else does. The cars are so low to the ground. One bent-in fender ruined Kurt Busch's day. Uh, it is... I mean, it is a true powder keg. I, I always would have thought <clears throat> that the Roval was the wild card, that Talladega was the wild card. Every 550 racetrack we go to, 550 horsepower racetrack, is going to be a wild card. Right. Um, not completely, 
Las Vegas are good cars, drove to the front. It's not what I'm saying, but it, it has the potential for fireworks. I mean, I, I, when I sit out the window and watch these guys roll off turn two, the front three are beating and banging, but seventh through 22nd is four wide, and I, I'm, I'm shocked. I don't know how they don't wreck more often. Perfect transition to where I wanted to end because yesterday was the first time that I enjoyed your guys' vantage point. I went up to the press box for the first time since Daytona, and I watched the 550 horsepower package that much maligned, much controversial, much loved, depending on your point of view. Everybody has an opinion on this this rules package. I watched it from above for the first time, and Stevie, I was stunned by the action. I mean, I know I hear insane restarts. I hear crazy restarts so much it should probably be trademarked. But like now I understand that that's, that's not overselling it. I mean, it's the first five laps after the green, I think, is better than a restrictor plate race. It's better than what you're used to seeing at Daytona so and Talladega. But then what's interesting to me is after those first five laps, to me, it felt like every mile and a half race I've seen for the last... 20, 25 years. I mean, the first race I ever covered in Las Vegas was the first cup race there, March 1st, 1998. And that, what I remember that day, 21 years ago, was a lot like what I saw for the majority of the race, aside from the restarts yesterday. So what I loved about yesterday was the restarts were crazy and the good cars came to the front. When I hear drivers that say can't, they can't pass, they should watch the race back, and they don't. I, I, they're giving you their honest opinion mm -hmm. that from their seat out their windshield, they couldn't pass. Joey Logano started outside top 20 and led the first, won the first stage with no yellows. He passed. Martin Trex Jr. restarted with a penalty. Tail end, or a second pit stop, won the second stage. He passed. Chase Elliott had a penalty in the final stage. Drove it up inside the top. Like, passing happens. Good cars. Kyle Busch got two laps back and was driving through the field, and I was convinced was going to run top five. He was. His, in the little bit of information he gave post race. He goes, well, we're going to run fourth or fifth. Right, right, right. He passed. It was a great mix of on fresh tires, pushing and shoving in situation. And the 105-degree heat and that worn-out asphalt in Las Vegas, and I'm going to give Goodyear the credit for whatever that magic tire they brought was, allowed us to see three or four different races within every fuel run. And it was, it was breathtaking. It was everything I wanted it to be. Um, it delivered. It, uh, I'm glad you came up to see it. Uh, we have a sales thing. It's uh, the John Deere three wide. It's a great recap. I told the truck in the my little talkback. I said, "Well, you should call them up and tell them we're going to sell the four wide and the five wide because we had both." <laughs> uh, yeah. And that was really it. I mean, it was. It's obnoxious to be outside the top five. You know, there's a lot of pressure to restart good in the front three or four, but you're kind of you know swatting at one fly. When you get back there. Man, you're swatting at you know a whole beehive blindfolded, and you're trying to figure out where the next thing's coming from, and it's so much fun to watch. So again, I thought good race. I thought amazing five laps after a restart, and then after that, I thought you know there's it's sort of like mile and a half racing. It gets strung out. It's it's what happens. Uh, your friend and mine, Jeff Gluck from the Athletic, was sitting next to me. Jeff told me that the test in January was when they first tried this out in Vegas and, and he's to see still how talking about the test well I asked him about it to uh, to be fair to him he told me it was it was like that for 20 to 25 laps at a time they'd have 15 to 20 cars out there and they would be that close like they are in restarts and that was why he was so optimistic coming into this year that it would look like that obviously he's got his opinions on that and I think some drivers have formed some opinions on that and I wonder and I wasn't in Vegas you, you weren't in Vegas but like why didn't it turn out 
that way. Gluck was asking this over the weekend in Vegas, like Kyle Busch and some other drivers, Truex, who, who were there, who he wanted to know, you know, what happened? Like, is it just that you can't simulate race conditions? Like, they thought they had something in that te- that test that would last well, Jeff two Gluck and a half thought. hours at a time. Yeah, Jeff Gluck thought. And some drivers and NASCAR, I think th- there were some NASCAR execs and officials, to be fair. And I'm not saying that it should be like that. I think, like... I was gonna say, but I don't. It want was very that. grandiose. I don't. I don't know if I want that. I think it was grandiose to kind of expect that what, that would happen. What I saw at Chicago is the same thing I saw at Las Vegas, which is what I want, which is the best car still matters, mm-hmm. but not to the point where guys without the best car might as well just put it on the truck. That's really what I saw. I saw that there was a. Um, we're 27 weeks in, and when I walked the garage Sunday morning with some of my good friends that are the brightest garage or brightest minds in the garage, I talked to two separate crew chiefs. And one told me, I'm scared to death I have too much downforce. I hope the track gets slick. If it does, we're going to be great. And then a few trucks down, the crew chief told me, I'm scared to death we don't have enough downforce and we're going to be out of control and I hope the track cools enough that we can keep up. And they both had great days. And I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Because for three decades, you unloaded, and it was who could go in the circle the fastest, and whoever did, as long as they didn't speed, leave wheels loose, or have a problem on pit road, they're going to win. It's anything but that now. It's anything but that now. And I, as a crew chief, would be irritated if the car didn't still matter and the driver still doesn't matter. I haven't seen a shocking, you know, I haven't seen an undeserving front runner. You know, I mean, these guys that run up front deserve to be deserve to be up there. I mean, it was um, there's so many storylines. Um, I'm excited to get to the short track. When we talk about a variety, we're going to go to now a completely different horsepower package to a different racetrack, and uh, be interested to see how it races there. But um, the simple fact is, is, I don't look at the type of racing. I, Jeff Gluck and I have this conversation all the time. The other thing I noticed in Las Vegas is it was 105, and the crowd was great. And that's been a consistent thing. Darlington had a great crowd. Bristol had a great crowd. Indianapolis, as poor as it looked, and I'm not going to sit here and say it looked good. Mm-hmm. I've seen it look worse. Nobody wants to hear that, but I've seen it look worse. Better crowd. I'm not going to say great. Better, better. Slightly better crowd. Um, Bristol night race felt like the Bristol night race again. In the end, that is my barometer. In today's world of all of us fighting for entertainment, um, people come out and talk about it and see it, I'm happy. And uh, some drivers are going to love it. Some are going to hate it. Some of it is determined because how they run. Some of it's predetermined before they even get in the car. They're just not going to like it. Yeah. But, um, you know, that that's kind of that's what we have. All right, Ben. We'll wrap it up there. We'll be back Saturday night at Richmond, uh, race two of the playoffs. Uh, thanks for being here, man. Appreciate being here. I can't wait. I wish we were heading to Richmond tomorrow. I mean, I need a little more sleep after a red <laughs> eye from Las Vegas, but I'm ready to go. Our thanks again to Steve Wittart for joining us. That was great insight. Always worth the wait. Appreciate Steve Wittart for being back on the NASCAR NBC podcast. And again, we'll be doing this weekly, a post-race playoff podcast with a NASCAR America analyst looking back at the race that was and how it impacts the championship and how it might impact things going forward. In this case, Richmond. This weekend, we will have coverage Friday night of qualifying for the Cup Series, 6 p.m. on NBCSN. That'll be followed by the Xfinity Race, Countdown to Green, uh, Green Flag shortly after 7.30 p.m., all of that on NBCSN as well. And then Saturday night, the second race in the first round of the Cup Series 2019 playoffs. 
Coverage gets started at 6 p.m. pre-race with NASCAR America on NBCSN. The cup race will begin shortly after 7.30 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN, so be sure to tune in for all of that. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you download your podcasts. Please leave a rating and review if you could. That helps spread the word or just tell people you like us. Talk about it on social media. All of that helps benefit us in getting the word out about the NASCAR on NBC podcast. And if you have any feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter. At Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR on NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I made the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.